All right, I do the music thing all the time. You think I know how to move the stand. All right. Ah, I've been thinking about why did I say yes to the idea of preaching many years ago when I was not yet a worship leader. I told the Lord, I am really not comfortable with the idea. And the Lord said to me, well, get comfortable with being uncomfortable then. And, uh, boy, I spent years getting comfortable being uncomfortable. And again, this morning it came to me when I thought, what in the world have I done? I'd really like to just go back to bed and just forget the whole thing. And the Lord said, remember, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. So here I am being uncomfortable. But the joy of being here is that this congregation, this body of believers that we've spent a lot of years in is a lot of friendly faces, a lot of really great people, and an amazing team. So I have to say, I am so grateful to our worship team who does such a great job to our tech team who gets all the pieces together because that's not something I can do. It just, it's just a blessing. I can run to people and say, hey, can you help me figure out my clothes for this morning and, and get me all put together? Thank you, Joey. Um, so it's a blessing. So here we are. We are on Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of Holy Week. And I would like us to use our holy imaginations to go back a couple thousand years, and put ourselves into that situation. And so I want us to look at this story um, using all of the Gospels. And you'll find the Palm Sunday story, if you care to take time to read it. It doesn't take long to read all four accounts. And they're found in Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 12. And if you don't write that down or don't remember it, it's really easy to Google it, just like I did, to find out where to find the story. Um, so I'm going to start by reading the account from Mark 11. And the reason I like that account is Mark is the shortest of the Gospels. Mark is kind of like dragnet for the Bible. It's like, okay, the facts, just the facts, he gets them down and he keeps moving right along. So here is Mark's account of Palm Sunday story. Um, and I want to just set the setting a little bit. Jesus is staying with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They live just outside of Jerusalem, about a mile, mile and a half from their house to downtown. So they're kind of living in the suburbs of Jerusalem. It's, it's a Sabbath's walk from their house into Jerusalem. And Jesus is really good friends with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This is after Lazarus has been risen from the dead, right? So Jesus is getting really, really popular, and he's coming to Jerusalem for one of the biggest holy days of the Jewish year, and that's Passover. So he's come for Passover. He's staying at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus's house. He goes into Jerusalem during the day, and he comes and sleeps with you know, his friends, his disciples, and Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So as we go through uh, this passage, keep that in mind, that the different days of the week, of Holy Week, that's Jesus' routine. He's going in to Jerusalem during the day, coming back out to stay with his friends in the evening, like we would if we had a bed and breakfast, right? Okay, so Mark 1.1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, As it is written in Isaiah, whoops, I got to do the clicking. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, but this is not what I want to be reading. Um, yeah. 
I feel like we're, we need Mark 11, verses 1 through 11 and 15 through 19. Okay. As much as I love this story about John the Baptist in the wilderness, that is not what I plan to preach on. And I'd be caught totally unprepared. Let me go ahead and I'm just going to read it here. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the village opposite you. And as soon as you've entered it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many who spread their clothes on the road and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, As the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. All of that was happening on Sunday, Palm Sunday. And I'm going to skip down a little bit to verse 15. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who had bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he uh, he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves? And the scribes and chief priests heard it and saw how they might destroy him, sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. So the part that I just read is taking place on Sunday and then on Monday. And what I want us to do is think about Did some people miss the point, right? So sometimes in life we miss the point. And I'm going to see if we can get to those slides. Okay. All right. So I just wanted to look at a few things I saw. This shows breaking news. Titanic sunk 102 years ago tonight. I think somebody missed the point, breaking news, something that might be a great anniversary or an interesting story, but is not breaking news. They missed the point. This is 24-hour protection from Crest mouthwash used two times a day. (laughs) Apparently, it doesn't last for 24 hours after all. They missed the point. This bike, great U-lock. You know those universal locks, very hard to break, but notice the pole. I think the person who tied up their or locked up their bike sort of missed the point. Pretty easy to take that bike if you wanted it with the U-lock. Here you can order the Ultimate Island veggie burger, but you add bacon. (laughs) Might have missed the point of a veggie burger if you're adding bacon, although it does sound delicious. 
Here, you know, we've all been to the places where they block and you have to have something to get out. I think that one's a little too short. They might have missed the point. You just drive around, right? So, um, sometimes we miss the point. Sometimes I miss the point in things. And I think that when we look at today's story, we're going to look at it from several points of view. And I'm not going to just go, go chronologically through the triumphal entry. If you've been in church your whole lives, you've done, uh, heard the Palm Sunday triumphal entry story over and over and over again. So you probably know the story well. You've colored the pages, you know, I, I, you know the whole thing. So we're just going to look at different groups of people and how they perceive Jesus and what he was doing and if they may have missed the point. So we're going to start by examining those money changers and merchandisers who got thrown out of the temple, cleaned out of the temple on that Monday interchange with Jesus. So do those doing business in the temple miss the point is my question. The merchandisers were people who had tables of wares for sale in the temple. Um, mostly it was doves. Now doves outside of the temple would cost you about a quarter a piece. You could buy a dove. And so if you were a, a value shopper, maybe you'd want to buy a dove outside of the temple, take it in and sacrifice it. Usually doves were a sacrifice that a poor person would bring into the temple. If you had a little bit more means, you would sacrifice a lamb, you'd sap- sacrifice an ox. So it's the poorer people who are buying doves for their sacrifice. But if you bought one of the cheap doves outside of the temple and brought it in and tried to sacrifice it, it wouldn't have a stamp on it, something that says approved kosher. So you take it to the priest. The priest looks it over long enough to find a blemish and says, nope, can't sacrifice this. Go take this thing out of here. I'm not sacrificing it for you. But if you went into the the, um, merchandisers in the temple, you could buy the $5 dove to sacrifice. It's approved. The priest looks at it and says, oh, yeah, sure, we can sacrifice this one. And he would do the sacrifice. And so you have these merchandisers who are basically capitalizing on people's desire to worship, right? Instead of charging 25 cents, the cost of a typical dove, they're charging $5 and the priests and the merchandisers are making a profit, turning a profit off of the need or the desire of people to worship. The money changers were people who were changing Roman coinage into temple shekels. So they had a tradition that the temple shekel was all that you could give for a tithe. You couldn't use your Roman coinage, but in everyday life, you were using the money of the day, which is Roman coinage. So when you come to the temple, you've got to exchange. It's like us going to a foreign country, right? If we go to Canada or we go to Mexico or we go overseas somewhere, we're exchanging our American currency for the currency of the country that we go to. Now, if you're a smart person and you exchange ahead of time, you get a bank exchange right? rate and you'll get a good rate, right? Or maybe you wait and you forget that you need to exchange and you end up exchanging at the airport or you end up exchanging somewhere in the foreign country. You're not going to get as good of an exchange rate for your money. Well, this is what the, the um, money changers were doing. They were giving a very poor exchange rate and taking 10 or 15% off of the top as people went into the temple to, again, to give their tithe. They were commanded to give a tithe. Maybe people wanted to give a tithe, but they were losing in the process and the money changers and therefore the priests were making money on this money changing. So Jesus goes into the temple on this Monday afternoon and he sees this going on and he's angry. And righteously so. He doesn't want his people who've come to worship him to be taken advantage of. 
He says in a very upset way, you've made my father's house a den of thieves and he drove them out. And it's interesting to me that he takes some of the words that he uses out of Jeremiah 711, which talks about turning the temple into a den of robbers and out of Isaiah 56, 7, which talks about the temple being a house of prayer. So he's not just coming up with what he's saying off the top of his head. He's coming up with what he has to say to them out of his study of scripture. Um, so once it was cleansed of these, these people that have been uh, taking advantage of the worshipers in Matthew 21 verses 14 and 15, um, sorry, I was thinking that slide was there 14 and 15, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. And they were indignant. So what should be happening in the temple? What kind of ministry should be going on? Should it be a place of worship, a place of ministry to those who are poor, to those who are lame, to those who are in need? Indeed, it should. But unfortunately, the business people had lost sight of the purpose. They were missing the point of the temple. And in their eye for turning a profit, they capitalized on the desire of the people. And so they were looking for wealth. Some missed the point because they'd rather turn a profit than meet the needs of the people. So that's our first group. What about a second group of people? And that's the religious leaders. Most of us have read the Bible long enough and often enough to realize the religious leaders of the day probably missed the point, right? Um, In Luke 19, verses 39 to 41, the people are celebrating Jesus. He's riding into Jerusalem on the donkey, and they're saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And the Pharisees are in this same crowd, and they say to Jesus, Rebuke your disciples. They shouldn't be saying this. And Jesus says to him, you guys know, That's right. If I tell them to be quiet, even the stones will cry out. Exactly. So the Pharisees don't like the fact that the people are lifting Jesus up as Messiah. And Jesus again turns to scripture and it's actually the words from Habakkuk verse two or chapter two verse 11 that he quotes when he says, even the stones will cry out when he talks about worship. Um, the, the chief priests are also seen in Matthew 21, 15 through 17 that I just read to you where they're getting jealous as the children are saying, Hosanna, um, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the priests want to shut that down in the temple. Um, and then a, another place that we see the chief priests and the teachers of the law looking is Mark eleven eighteen, And in this passage, it says they began to look for a way to kill him for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. So over and over again in this story and many other passages, we see these chief priests, these Pharisees, these religious leaders who have a great deal of power. Um, they're constantly wanting to shut Jesus down. So why did they dislike him so much? Couldn't they have considered him, you know, another leader? Couldn't they have brought them him into their fold? Well, it turns out that they accused him of many things, Mark tells us. They were angry with him for upsetting their traditions and some of their scruples about the law. They looked down on him for eating with sinners and associating with those that they um, deemed unworthy and unclean. But most of all, they hated Jesus because he claimed to be from God. And as time went on, dared to make himself 
equal with God, which is exactly what's happening on Palm Sunday. He's allowing people to worship him as the Messiah. Before that time, he had asked people, don't, you know, I'm healing you, but don't tell anybody about it. I'm taking care of you, but don't go and tell it to the other people around you. But on Palm Sunday, he comes forward and he says, this is who I am. So did the, the priests sense that he had a spiritual power that perhaps they feared? Um, is that why they wanted to silence him? The Pharisees were so close. They understood the scripture. They understood that God was sending a Messiah. They understood so much of the truth, but they got lost in themselves, their own power, their religion, keeping their rules, and they missed the point. So some missed the point because they'd rather have prestige than the Messiah they had been awaiting. So we have a couple groups of people. It's pretty easy to say, yep, they missed the point. But what about the Palm Sunday crowd as they're worshiping Jesus, as he's entering into Jerusalem? Were they getting the point or were they just following the latest trend? You know, Jesus was trending that week. If he'd had a Facebook page or a Twitter account, that would have been what was trending. Um, were they Were they just following along? So let's think about um, those folks. Sorry, I'm losing my place on my pages here. All right. Um, so this is a familiar story. And Jesus, first of all, gets this cult, right? I just read it to you out of Mark. He gets this cult. Does that strike anybody as a little bit odd that Jesus is riding on a colt? It strikes me as a little bit odd. So let's just use our imaginations for a second. And let's pretend that President Biden is coming to town. All right. And does anybody know the name of the car that he generally rides in? Call it Malachi knows. It's called the beast, right? And anybody know any facts about it? I looked them up. It looks like a Cadillac, but apparently the beast is a GM heavy-duty commercial vehicle. And um, it's heavily armored. It has 8-inch armor plating. It has 5-inch glass windows. It's linked to a military satellite all the time. It's sealed for protection from chemical attack. It's decked out with firefighting equipment, oxygen tanks, it has a cache of the, ple- the president's blood right on board. Uh, it has tear gas canisters, shotguns, and grenade launchers. So not anything like a donkey. Uh, and it has its own plane to carry it anywhere in the world that the president might go so he can always ride in the beast. So just think. Let's say President Biden's coming, and all of our president. I'm not picking on President Biden. I'm just using him because he's the current president. So let's say he decides to come to Albion, and he's riding that mile, mile and a half. Can we imagine President Biden on a donkey, a little colt donkey, coming from Superior up Irwin Avenue out here to our church? I'm seeing some heads shake. No. So President Biden is a pretty powerful person. He has a great deal of power in our world. He's well-respected. But let's think who Jesus is. Jesus is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Though he hadn't really been revealed yet as that person, some knew him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he chooses to ride a donkey, a colt, into Jerusalem. This is the way he presents his ministry. This is the way he launches, right? This is his brand. 
I don't know if his logo, no, no, I'm not going to go there. Uh, this is his brand, and he's on a donkey. It's interesting to think of the difference. Jesus is truly powerful and yet completely humble. Um, so let's think about other things about that. I, I find it interesting that he's riding a donkey that's never been ridden. I don't know a lot about breaking and gentling animals, but I have the suspicion that a, a baby donkey or whatever you call it, a colt, that had not been sat upon before would not easily, usually let somebody ride on it? What do you think? And Jesus just sits on this colt and shows to me the, the command that he has even over the animals. And he borrows the colt from people that he hasn't seen. He just tells his disciples, you know, go get this colt, bring it to me. If anybody asks you any questions, just tell them I, I need it right now and, and we'll bring it back. And they have no problem. They just follow his instructions. I don't know how many of you guys know um, the story of this base sitting over here. I know many of you do. But Reuben's base, his carven five-string, really beautiful base, has a history to it. And I'm going to share it really briefly, but I'm going to share it from my perspective instead of Reuben's perspective. We, um, as a large family, didn't often go out to eat after church, we would just go home and make our own meal. But there was a particular Sunday, uh, the Nagas were like, hey, let's go out to Pizza Hut and have pizza together. And we were like, I was like, yeah, can we go out to Pizza Hut and have pizza together? Ruben's like, okay, sure, we'll go to Pizza Hut. So we go over to Pizza Hut and they have their, their, um, they used to have what, a buffet sort of thing. And we're getting out of our big 12 passenger van because we were still driving that at the time. We had enough kids at home. Um, and a gentleman, or a couple of gentlemen actually, start to walk up to us in the parking lot of Pizza Hut out on Eaton Street. And Reuben kind of gives me the look, like, don't engage with them, just walk in. But I'm kind of a people person, and it's really hard for me to just pass people. So as these couple of gentlemen walk up to me, excuse me, excuse me, I couldn't just... And so I started to engage with these two men. I, what? And they were like asking, was our van a church van? And then a Reuben sees that I'm engaged and he's just like rolled his eyes like, oh my gosh, now I got to deal with this. Thanks, honey. But, and it's not to put you down. You did a great job after that. But <laughs> anyway, so they're asking if our van is a church van. We said, no, it's our personal van. We, we, we have a big family. And so they begin to ask if there's any chance they can borrow this van, because they're thinking it's a church van, and we've just come after church, and maybe the church will loan them the van. Well, it's our personal van. Reuben sits the rest of the time at Pizza Hut talking to these two men who are from Indiana. They're trying to get the University of Michigan to watch one of the men's daughters play in a volleyball game, wasn't it? And um, their RV that they were traveling had broken down here in Albion. It was parked in the Kmart parking lot. And uh, Reuben, finally, I mean, we had a meal... All of us who were there chatted, and Reuben's off to the side talking to these men. He comes over to me, and he says, can we get a ride home? And I think Greg was driving at the time, and your mom and dad, between them, they could get us all back to our house in Spring Arbor. And uh, he said, okay. So we get a ride home, and Reuben hands the keys to our personal van to this complete stranger. And we take the keys to his not running and not that young RV, <laughs> and he said, I'll make sure to get your van back to you. And then they leave, right? They paid for everybody's pizza. The entire, everybody from the church got free pizza that day that was at Pizza Hut. So they go off, and I'm thinking, either this was of God, or we just got scammed in the biggest way. And it took a good week 
for us to find out whether it was of God or whether we'd been scammed because they couldn't get the RV fixed. He took the van all the way back to his home in Indiana and it was kind of in the spring and it was snowy. Anyway, it took a while. We finally did get our van back. Long story short, the man eventually calls and he says to Reuben, I'd really like to do something nice for you and for your church. Is there anything that your church is in need of? And Reuben gave him a list of, I don't know, five or six things that the church could use and that um, would be nice, particularly things for the sound equipment and the worship team. And he, the man says, well, is there anything that you could use? And I remember us laying in bed together, and Reuben's like, I don't know what to tell him. And I said, well, Reuben, what have you dreamed of? I mean, maybe he's asking about something personal for you. What have you dreamed of that you know we can't afford and that we will never probably ever get? And he's like, well, I have had my eye on this carbon base, this five-string. I kind of like. And so he wrote back, and he said, you know, if you want to know something that I personally would love, I'd love to have a five-string carbon bass. He explained the whole thing. And the man said, good, that's what I'm going to buy you. You order that five-string carbon bass and a bass amp, and it is yours. And that was the blessing that came. Whew, wow, that blessing came from just listening. And so I don't know what blessing came to the owner of the donkey and the colt who just said, sure, take the keys to my car and go where you need to go. And I trust that you'll get it back to me. But there's blessings sometimes when we just follow the Lord and know that he has need of it. And that day, the Lord had need of our van to take care of a couple of folks from Indiana to get them to where they needed to go and to get them back home. And it all worked out. Um, so Jesus is allowing himself to be publicly proclaimed as Messiah. And he rides on this donkey. And there's a lot of good reasons, but the best reason of all is that Zechariah 9.9 tells us, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so they didn't, the disciples, John tells us, they didn't realize they were fulfilling scripture when they went to get that colt and when they rode into Jerusalem, but they were fulfilling scripture. They didn't stage it. They didn't practice it, but it was the fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. Um, the followers of Christ had spent many years with him and they'd seen many miracles and they're ready for him to become that conquering political king, right? They know that he has power. They've seen him raise a man from the dead. They've seen him calm storms. They've seen him heal Tons and tons of people. They've seen him provide food to men, women, and children. And so they're ready for him to go public. You know, they've been on the ground floor. They've seen this ministry get started, and they want to go public. They want to release it. They're ready for the next level. Um, but did they really get what Jesus was about to do and what he had in mind, or did they, some of them, also miss the point? I think the answer is yes. Some of them probably did miss the point and perhaps they turned against him the very within a week's time to jeer and be disappointed and say, crucify him. He's a fraud. He's not doing what we thought. We thought he was going to conquer as a political king. And so um, those who were saying, Hosanna to da- the son of David, Hosanna in the highest. And here's the phrases that they were shouting. These come from Psalm 118. Hosanna means save now. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that is coming. 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Some miss the point because they'd rather hold political power than be delivered from the power of sin. But there were a few disciples from the crowd who by faith went through that week and uh, they trusted in their relationship with Jesus. Some of those children in the temple, they seemed to get who Jesus was, even if it was in an immature way. And one story that stands out to me is from the beginning of John 12. And it's before the triumphal entry. Jesus is hanging out with Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. They're relaxing at the table. And Mary comes in. And you guys know Martha and Mary, right? The two sisters, the sister who's busy doing, serving, and taking care of everything. And Mary, the sister who loves to be at Jesus' feet, right? And she walks in. She has this jar of very expensive perfume. And she pours it all over Jesus' feet and anoints his feet. And she dries his feet with her hair. And it's this beautiful act of worship. Because somehow, though she doesn't really probably know, she gets what's about to happen this week. She gets that the Messiah she loves is about to go through something. And Jesus says of her, she's preparing me for my burial. So she she puts this perfume on his legs, on his feet. Um And some of the disciples, especially Judas Iscariot, criticizes her and says, what is wrong with you? You've wasted all this perfume. It could could have been sold. It could have been given to the poor, this money. And in the Gospel of John, John says he didn't say that because he cared about the poor. He said that because he keeps the purse and he likes to embezzle a little bit from the purse every once in a while. So it wasn't about the poor. It was about himself. And Mary does something that's so beautiful. And Jesus says, you're going to be remembered for this beautiful act of anointing me. I just recently learned that that perfume, that nard, it, the smell, our perfumes tend to just disappear, you know, after a day. Um, and we take showers and wipe things off quickly. But that nard would have lingered on his legs and on his feet. As he was going through his trial, as he was going through the scourging, As he was going through his crucifixion, you know what he would have smelled? A perfume. That moves me. That that act of worship would have lasted and would have been there. And he would have been reminded of Mary's love and her adoration for him as he went to the cross. That's a faithful disciple. I think that she got the point. Um, Jesus in the end weeps over the missed opportunity for so many. He says, if only you'd known your opportunity, but you've missed it. And he opens the opportunity for all of us to come in and to know who Jesus is. So what is the point? The point is relationship, relationship with Jesus. Psalm 118 says, Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You've become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. 
The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us, or Hosanna. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. So that's Psalm 118, predicting Jesus coming, and that our salvation comes through Jesus, whom we celebrate. So on this Palm Sunday, I would ask you to think about what you're more interested in. Is it the wealth, like the money changers and merchandisers? Is it prestige, like religious leaders? Is it power, like the political power that some of Jesus' followers were seeking? Or is it relationship? That's the relationship that he offers us through his sacrifice on the cross. I think it's a good time. It doesn't matter if we've been a Christian for a long time or we still don't know Christ yet. It's a good time for us to examine our own hearts to be sure that we don't reject the one who needs to be the cornerstone of our own lives. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this story, this huge celebration. I just can't help but be um, amazed by the fact that Palm Sunday was a much bigger celebration for you, Jesus, than Easter Sunday. You came forward. You let your disciples proclaim publicly who you were. You sat on that donkey and you came as a gentle, peaceful, triumphant King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You knew what you were facing that week and you faced it for our sakes. Lord, help us to yield our hearts to you, to examine ourselves as we go through this holy week ahead and be prepared to celebrate your resurrection, knowing that what we seek is you and not so many other things that this world would offer to us. We ask for your blessing through this week. We ask for your Holy Spirit to guide us, to nudge us as we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.